What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Lynn Anderton, a single woman living in the UK, told me she hadn't really thought much about orgasms when she experienced her first one. She only knew they existed. It was somebody of my the same age who I was dating. He was more experienced than me. And it was in my parents' house they'd gone out for the day. It was like heavy petting, really. Obviously, I didn't realise what was kind of going on for myself. It was done with his fingers. He was obviously hitting my G-spot. So that's what was making the orgasm quite exciting. The pleasure of it alerted me to that. I just wish I'd known my body more. Then there's sexologist and author Dr. Lene St. John's first orgasm story. She shared it with me in a chat we recorded in my kitchen that I released in September 2019. She had just told me that she never had a sex ed class, just a puberty education class, which involved cartoon videos about periods that she said looked very 1950s. I actually remember the first time I had an orgasm, and it was when I was like seven or eight years old. We were at a park, and I had set up this little circuit for myself, you know, like run around the park, go up the slide, slide down the slide, swing, and then jump off the swing, and like go, you know, run around the merry-go-round, do all these little tricks, right, or do these little tasks. And the last thing was to climb up a pole and ring a bell. And so all that, like, tension and, like, excitement and energy of running around and doing all these things, I climbed up the pole, and I had an orgasm while I was climbing up the pole. Oh my God, what just happened? You know? <laughs> and I remember asking if we could go back to that park. I mean, wouldn't you? Lene's been on a mission to better inform others about sex and sexuality for years now. If you have kids, I highly recommend her book, Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. Jane Renault, who described herself to me as a smut queen by day, alley-wandering photographer of Montreal's Trash by Night, said she was 10 or 11 when she experienced her first orgasm. And she said it was definitely an accidental discovery. We had this electric bath massager at the house growing up and like using it for very like actual massage purposes and just very methodically and medically like feeling how it felt on like my fingertips and on the tip of my nose and like just going through everywhere and then eventually making its way to more erogenous zones and going like, oh, that's interesting. And so I can't necessarily pinpoint that first orgasm for that reason because it was just like this slow, organic, methodical exploration of my entire body. And I remember definitely there were points where I was getting to that point of like approaching orgasm and being overwhelmed by it and stopping and being like, well, that was just a lot. I need a break. But then it got to a point where I was like, I'm not done yet. And then I guess I was experiencing orgasm as as a result, but wouldn't know until years later that that was what was going on. (laughs) Over the next couple of years, Jane heard the word orgasm being thrown around the playground at school from kids who had had a puberty lesson in health class. 
It was equated with penis ejaculation, though, so she didn't quite connect the word orgasm with what she had experienced just yet. By high school, she had learned the proper terminology, and by that time, she was already intentionally masturbating with orgasm as the goal. I didn't feel guilty about doing it, but I knew that it was something that it was just for me because even though we didn't talk much about sex growing up, there wasn't a lot of shame around it either. There was never any like sexualizing of body parts. We used the actual anatomical terms like penis and vulva and vagina and stuff. I knew it was for me, but I didn't feel any guilt around it. So I was able to like really explore. In some ways, Jane said, her relationship to orgasm hasn't changed a whole lot over the years. She's evolved and grown in her sexuality and as a person, of course. But that sense of orgasms being her own private joy has remained. It's still very much like a personal experience. Sometimes I might have one with a partner present, but I don't consider orgasm the the goal of my sexual experiences, except for like when I'm just like, I need to masturbate and I just need to like get this out to reset or recalibrate something like that. It becomes a bit of a chore, but uh, I guess that's the only time that I'm really like focused on getting the orgasm. Like otherwise partnered experiences is like, that's a bonus still at the end of the day, it's mine. And I have to kind of go inside myself in order to experience it. For a long time, of course, there's that like, oh, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get off with somebody else or whatever? But then I, I don't know, I guess I got over that realizing that no, this is, this is my experience. And so I can share it with someone if I feel comfortable, but it doesn't have to be the case every time. Jane is now the founder and editor-in-chief of Erotica at Balesa, a company known for its women-created porn and very spicy stories. And Jane's work there continues to illustrate how important it is for all of us to embrace our own pleasure. People are trying to find that permission to be themselves, to experience things in the way that they are, and that they're not weird in the way that they're experiencing it. Everyone just wants to know that the things that excite them or turn them on isn't weird or shameful, but like that's kind of part of the exploration too like maybe like why do you feel shame about this why does it turn you on to explore it none of that is weird everything is okay and when it comes right down to like your orgasm that's all yours too and however you come about it as long as there's no consent being crossed like it's okay and exploring that and exercising that will get you closer to like owning the pleasure that you deserve I so frequently hear from people who wonder if they are orgasming weird. That's one reason I decided to include a section on seven types of orgasm in my Girl Boner book. Today, in honor of anyone who wonders about their own orgasmic traits, I'm going to read much of that section with this important note. Every one of them is normal. So are types I won't mention today. And no, there are not just two types for people with vulvas. We hear that a lot. This excerpt mostly applies to people with a vulva. I'm going to share some quote-unquote male orgasm info as well today, though, that doesn't appear in the book. First, those seven types from the section called Different Types of Gasms. In my opinion, there are two basic types of orgasms we experience, and they fall on a spectrum, from spectacular to especially spectacular. There's the oh my God, that rocked my world type, and the less intense, more whisper-like orgasms, and everywhere in between. Even the subtlest orgasms 
can feel especially spectacular at times. And regardless, who's to judge? There's no contest or criteria you need to meet. What matters is that you're able to freely cultivate and welcome whatever pleasure you desire. For kicks, here are some specific orgasm varieties worth savoring. Seagasms and vegasms, clitoral versus vaginal. Do you prefer caressing, kissing, and other girl boner goodness on the outside, inside, or both? A recent study in the Journal of Sexual Medicine confirmed what many vulva owners know from experience, that stimulating the external part of the clitoris, the part we can see from the outside, can lead to orgasm, which does not involve the internal root of the clitoris. So while this kind of climax is often simply called clitoral orgasm, that's a bit misleading, seeing as vaginal orgasms tend to involve the inner and outer clitoris. So really, clitoral orgasms are external clitoral orgasms, if you want to get technical about it. And vaginal orgasms tend to be C plus V. G-spot orgasms. G-spot orgasms are known to be exceptionally powerful vegasms. The G-spot, considered highly erogenous and she-jaculationable, is located on the front wall of the vagina, usually about halfway between the cervix and vaginal opening. If someone inserts a finger and makes the come here or come hither motion, they are likely to stimulate it. Doggy style and, quote, woman on top, are two positions that can make way for G-spot orgasms. You can also stimulate it with a toy designed for G-spot stim. Sleepgasms. Have you ever woken up in the middle of an orgasm or with noticeable swelling and wetness down below? You may have had a sleepgasm, aka wet dream. While we generally don't learn about female wet dreams, they are most definitely a thing. They may signify that your sexy imagination took flight in dreamland, which you may recall if you awoke midgasm, which is very exciting, and that your body is working just fine. Some people experience them more often during less sexually active times. Backgasms. If autocorrect turns gasms into gases one more time, I swear. Backgasms are a term that I, and likely others, use to describe climax derived from back stimulation. If you have ever experienced orgasm during a soothing back rub or massage, you are not alone. The phenomenon makes sense if you think about it. Relaxation plays a huge role in arousal and the ability to experience climax. And when are you more relaxed than mid-massage? Ah. A listener wrote me last year sharing that she had experienced her most intense orgasms ever during massage. According to Kate Scalisi, MPH, who weighed in on the question, anatomy plays a role here too. Here's what she said. Not only do the nerves to your pelvis run through our lower back, but as women, we tend to carry a lot of tension in the muscles in the hips and pelvis. Simply releasing that helps us experience more pleasure and even orgasm. Cervical orgasms. Yep, there's another type of seagasm worth savoring. A holistic sex and relationship coach described cervical orgasm to Cosmo as, quote, along the lines of what we call in Tantra, 
a full-body orgasm or an expanded orgasm. Rather than stay localized in your genitals, she said, it spreads through your body and can bring tingling that lasts for hours, potentially bringing intense feelings of love and spiritual transcendence. Whoa. Keep in mind that cervical stimulation can feel too sensitive or even painful for some folks. So foreplay, lube, and honoring your limits are key. Nipplegasms. Whether you experience full-on orgasm from nipple stimulation alone or those enticing sensations rev up your girl boner along the way, you've experienced what many people consider nipplegasms. In his fMRI research, Kamizarek was surprised to learn how erogenous nipples can be. He said nipple stimulation activates the same brain region as orgasm, which was a big surprise to my male neuroscience colleagues, but not to my female neuroscience colleagues. And yes, male nipples tend to be just as sensitive. Thinking off, aka hands-free orgasms. For some women, experiencing orgasm is as simple as ready, set, daydream. Kamizarek was skeptical when he heard that some women think their way to orgasms until related findings rolled in. Using four physiological measures of orgasm, heart rate, pupil dilation, blood pressure, and sensitivity to pain, he and his team studied 10 such women. Not only did the women experience orgasm through thought alone, but when compared to climaxing through self-stimulation, the magnitude of the physiological shifts were about the same. I'm filing this under life goals. Now a few types you can experience if you have a penis. Ejaculatory versus non-ejaculatory orgasms, aka standard versus dry orgasms. Not everyone ejaculates with orgasm, and even those who do may not ejaculate every time. We don't really use those terms for those of us with a vulva given that squirting, aka female ejaculation, happens for some, but it's not as commonplace. And really, it's the orgasm part, the muscles tensing and the intense pleasure that make for the orgasm, whether or not any sperm or semen is released at all. Prostate orgasms. The prostate is a gland about the size of a walnut that can be accessed through the rear. When it's stimulated during anal sex, some folks experience a ton of pleasure and, yes, potentially orgasm. This is why the prostate is sometimes called the P-spot and considered the equivalent of the G-spot. Multiple orgasms. Folks of all sexes and genders can experience these, but they are more common in vulva owners. That's because we don't require the same refractory or rest period after climax. For someone with a penis, an added big O might happen after a break, perhaps with some hydration during that break. And if not, if you don't hydrate, and regardless, the second one might be dry. In a survey of 1,000 cisgender men conducted by Love Honey, two-thirds of the men said they had experienced multiple orgasms at some point. For much more on multiple orgasms, check out my chat with the late and wonderful Laura Somoza that I released in her loving memory in July 2020. It's called Sex Games and Multiple Orgasms. So there you have it. 
10 Types of Embraceable Orgasms. This week's listener question came from my latest listener survey that I sent out to my email list. Will using a vibrator more often make it less likely that I will be able to orgasm without it? This is such a great question. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of greatlifegreatsex.com had to say. There's a lot of fear and anxiety that when and if using a vibrator consistently, somehow it could cause, you know, nerve damage, neuropathy, somehow permanently making it less able to orgasm. So the first thing I just want to say is absolutely 100% using a vibrator does not cause any permanent damage and or harm. That being said, um, there was a meta-analysis in the Journal of Sex and Relationship Therapy, and they did find that vibration can temporarily decrease sensitivity in multiple parts of the body. Again, that feeling of numbness that someone would report, you know, is real, but the most important thing is that that decreased sensation typically goes away within about an hour. I think it's recognizing sort of more anecdotally what I hear women say is that, you know, when and if you're consistently using a vibrator, um, the, the, the sense dependency on that, think about it is what are the conditions and that arouses both mental and physical, and that clearly the intensity of a vibrator is stronger than hands or mouth or other ways of penetration with a penis. And so it's not that the vibrator makes it more difficult to orgasm, but it in some ways is sort of context specific. And that, again, from a sort of a habit perspective, if you think of like Pavlov's dog and sort of stimulus response, women are often more, again, foundation for arousal relaxation. So, oh, my vibrator's in the mix. Like, I know I'm going to have an orgasm. There's a sense of relaxation. There's a sense of ease. There's a sense of positive expectancy. Or it might be something they enjoy often on their own with their own pleasure practice. And maybe their partner is or isn't as comfortable using the vibrator in sexual play. So I think it's really important to recognize all those psychological factors might lead to being more tense, less relaxed. The important thing to realize, I often say, is, you know, I'm a big fan of tools and toolbox or your pleasure tools. It's just that you want to be mixing them up. And so when and if you might feel that you know, it's taking you a little bit longer to reach orgasm without your vibrator, you know, mix up your practice and maybe use it about half the time or even go two or three weeks without and then notice for yourself whether or not it makes a big difference. Because I often find that, you know, sex is most pleasurable when we're changing things up, right? There's the novelty aspects of it, but it's also keeping your body a little bit guessing about the sensation and stimulation and always remembering what are the mental turn-ons as well as those that physically what feels good in your body. So the biggest key and takeaway here is nope, no permanent damage from a vibrator. That being said, when and if you feel like, you know, it's taking a bit longer, change it up and practice play. And as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. Such excellent points. I'll just add that I do know people who cannot experience orgasm without a vibrator. And I just want to let you know if that's the case for you, any of you listening, it's totally okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with feeling like you need a vibrator or just needing a toy in general. Again, like Megan said, they are tools in the toolbox. Non-vibrating toys can be an excellent way to explore too. So I love that variety Megan mentioned. And I think variety, even in the toys that we use, can be really helpful. 
If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I would love to hear from you by way of a review and rating in your favorite podcast app. And please hit subscribe if you haven't so you never miss a show. I also want to give a big thank you to my patrons who've joined my Patreon community. If you're interested in joining us, head to patreon.com forward slash girlboner or click the link down in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.